We shouldn't talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Hey, Key. How are you doing? I'm all right, V. How are you doing? You know what? I am doing pretty, pretty well. That's good. That is great. I can't wait till the end when we bring it up so I can talk about my birthday trip. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear about that. And also, this episode 24 marks our first themed series, which I want to call United States of Crime where the only thing our crimes have in common is the state that it happened in. I like that. United States of Crime. I like that. Yeah, so every so often we're going to get another or pick another state and choose crimes from that state. So the crimes necessarily won't be related like they normally are, just that they happen in that particular state. Right, 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 right. So, I guess with that being said, who's going first? I think that I should go first. Okay. Every time I say that, I feel like, you know, that old, uh, that gag joke, like, who's on first, what's on second. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Well... Since you're going first, you must have a good story. Oh, man, my story is so good. All right. Well, for this United State of Crime, we are going to Alabama. Alabama, AL. Take it away, V. All right. Gather around, children. It's time for a tell a crime. Today, we are going to be talking about Railroad Bill. Already liking this. (laughs) (laughs) The Legend of Railroad Bill, Winter 1895. He has been variously portrayed as a Robin Hood character, a murderous criminal, a shapeshifter, and even a nameless victim of the Jim Crow South. Uh, He has never... He was before his time. He was before his time, for sure. He's never been conclusively identified, but... The Louis, but the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, or LNN, detectives claimed he was a man named Morris Slater. Some residents of Bruden believe him to be a man called Bill McCrow, who was shot by local law enforcement. More on that later. Stories about Railroad Bill began when an armed vagrant began riding the LNN boxcars between. Blow Maton in Mobile. I feel like I'm having, I feel like I'm having some trouble pronouncing some of these some of these town names, city names. Yeah, because I noticed that too. Like Alabama has some weird spelling, but I, I think it's maybe like the um, indigenous language, just mm-hmm. like uh, you know, like up in New York, a lot of the cities have in, in names from like an indigenous tribe. Yeah, language, yeah. Like Tawanda and Onawanda and all that. It's going to be tough, but we will get through it. Listeners, appreciate your patience. Together. 
He earned the name Railroad Bill from the trained men who had trouble detaining the rifle-wielding hitchhiker. On March 6, 19, on March 6, 1895, railroad employees attempted to restrain a man they found sleeping on the water tank along the railroad. The man fired on them and escaped into the woods after hijacking a train car. This incident sparked a manhunt by railroad company detectives that led a posse to Bay Minute on April 6, 1895. When detectives confronted an armed man there, he shot and killed the deputy sheriff. Jeez. And evaded escape again. I mean, and evaded capture again. So he shot, he shot the deputy sheriff. Can you believe this? No, because the song says, I shot the sheriff, but did not shoot the deputy. Yeah, and somehow he, he shot both with one bullet. Wow. The deputy's killing swung the full attention of law enforcement and the media toward Railroad Bill. So newspapers were flying off the shelves saying, Railroad Bill, on the run, Railroad Bill, uh, killed the deputy sheriff, Railroad Bill, is he a shapeshifter? Wait, they just made a big leap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is how tabloids must have got started. (laughs) When I get to that part, you're going to you're going to fall out. It is so great. That just um, seems like a bit of a leap, like, oh, he shot the deputy. Oh, he's a shapeshifter. <laughs> <laughs> Hysteria Is he among at you? its finest. <laughs> a wanted poster for $500 was posted in, in, Mobile, in Mobile, and citizens identified him as Morris Slater. So $500 in 1895 is approximately $15,261.55 today. That's a lot of money for killing a deputy sheriff. But you know what? That was a life. You can't put a price on a life. So you know what? It's not enough money. There need more money on the table. You know what I'm saying? Lives are priceless. That's right. Hmm. So citizens identified him as Morris Slater, a convict lease worker who in 1893 had fled from a turpentine camp in Bluff Springs, Florida, after killing a lawman there. This camp is where Morris had been given the nickname Railroad Time for his rapid work pace. Railroad Bill crossed into Florida where, on July 4th, 1895, Bruton Sheriff E.S. McMillian tracked him, tracked, him to a horse, tracked him to a house near Bluff Springs. As the sheriff approached the dwelling, the fugitive opened fire and disappeared into the woods leaving McMillian fatally wounded. Railroad Bill was a good shot. He really was. And I don't think that guns back then were were not accurate. Right. (laughs) They had lots of bullet drop and everything. This dude, he was on point. So, unfortunately, McMillian died. And that marked another turning point in the case and greatly expanded the efforts between both Alabama and Florida to hunt down Railroad Bill. Despite the increase in fire and manpower, the the outlaw remained at large, robbing trains and reportedly selling goods to impoverished people for prices lower than the local merchant stores. Your boy was out here killing police and undercutting the local stores. It's crazy. I mean, he could be 
alive today doing the same exact things. He, he really could be, yeah. He just had powers. All the while, his legend grew, especially in Alabama's African-American community. Although the majority of African-Americans condemned Railroad Bill's actions, many also admired his courage and audacity. Some people attributed supernatural powers to him, maintaining that he was able to evade capture by changing into animal form and was only vulnerable to silver bullets. So he a werewolf. This, <laughs> but where where is he putting the gun when he shapeshift? Like, does it morph with him, or is there like a eagle flying with the gun in his mouth? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I'm gonna need them to to come on with this. This story is uh, a little far fetched here. You know, I always wondered where the um the sing like the singularity is and like. When you like in cartoons or whatever, when you do see someone transform into an animal and then transform back to a human, they're in their clothes again. I was like, where were those clothes at? Like, no, you would be naked. Come on. Right, and that's what I'm. I'm like, okay, so he he shoots somebody, he runs, he turns into a squirrel. Where's this shotgun? How did they not find it? The squirrel can't carry a shotgun. Where's his varmint rifle? Like, I, I'm seriously questioning his shapeshifting abilities. Other tales said that he had the power to disable the tracking abilities of bloodhounds. He could hone into bloodhounds' noses and snap, and they could not smell him for miles. Wow. About that one? So he was one of them old magical Negroes. Uh, exactly. He was he was in some witch doctrine stuff in Alabama. Think about Louisiana. No, go to Alabama, son. Well, I, I feel like they're giving him a whole lot of credit. Well, here here's an account of a story by Carl Carmer in the Hurricane's Children: Tales from Your Neck of the Woods. So, the sheriff decided Railroad Bill must be hiding under the low bushes in the clearing and began looking around. Pretty soon, he started after a little red fox that lit out through the woods. The sheriff let go of both barrels of his shotgun, but he missed. After the second shot, the little red fox turned around and laughed at him. A high, wild, hearted laugh, and the sheriff recognized it. That little fox was Railroad Bill. So we're going to address a couple things. A, that little accent you read the story in. Um, B, <laughs> he was a a fox that that laughed when he wasn't shot. C, was that the end of the story? Like, did the fox run off? Did it attack him? Like, what? I feel like we're we're left hanging on this. Yeah, certainly a cliffhanger, but if the sheriff um, shot both shots of the double barrel and he didn't have any more ammo, then the little red fox just got away. That's my takeaway from it. Well, he should be practicing like Railroad Bill. He'd be a good shot. Railroad Bill take him out one hit. He has a good accuracy rate. He really does. By the summer of 1895, the L&M Railroad, the, the state of Alabama, the state of Florida, the town of Bruton, and 
Escambia County had pulled together a reward of $1,250 for railroad bills capture. $38,153.87 today. So you already know tons of bounty hunters from Texas and Indiana came all the way down to Alabama and the western swamps of Florida to try to find this guy. Even yeah, that's the a lot Pinkerton, of money. Even the Pinkerton National Detective Agency came to look for this man. Many innocent African Americans soon found themselves paying heavily for railroad bills crimes, as questionably identified suspects were brought in for the reward, or were assumed to be accomplices. I think that's kind of messed up. But this is 19, 19th century, so it was definitely a time where, like, you can accuse any African American of being another African American, and they'll they'll most likely say, yeah, sure, but for this kind of reward, they probably wouldn't have said that. And also, like, my first thing would have been, like, look, I can't even shapeshift. Look, uh, I'm still here. It's still me. Yeah, like, like throw the holy water on me. I'm human. Right, like, I, that that would have yeah. been my first defense is, like, I literally can't shapeshift. Hand me a pistol and see if I can shoot a bottle off a table. Right. Then accidentally shoot one of the people. Be like, that's how bad of an aimer I am. <laughs> I can't. I really can't. <laughs> right. I wouldn't have survived long. I see that. <laughs> I would not have survived long that that far. Well, that that far back in the past. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. No. No. Some of these men suffered beatings, whippings, and other were others were murdered. The the Pine Belt News in Bruton ran a headline that stated the wrong man shot, and others others reported miss from Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, and Texas filtered in about men killed after being misidentified as railroad bill. By August second, the Montgomery Daily Advisor was reporting that those hunting the fugitive have become a small army, numbering at least 100 men loaded to the teeth. Wow. So this is kind of crazy. Like, um, like the the book of the story starts in 18. It starts in March 6, 1895, when when Bill was on the train and, and like they woke him up and then he started and then he hijacked a train car then shot at people, and then jumped to the woods. Now we're in March 7th, 1896, just one year later, one year and one day later, and he was gunned down. Hmm. Allegedly. So, at the Tidmore and Ward's General Store in Atmore, a depot town along the Louisiana and Nashville Accounts of the final episode in Railroad Bill's bloody career wildly differ. Some say the authorities surprised and killed the man as he sat on an oak barrel eating crackers and cheese. Other accounts say that he engaged the lawman in a shootout in front of the store, and still others contend that he walked into a trap at the general store. Those are very varying accounts. Like, it's not like he was on a oak barrel eating cheese and crackers. You know, like, no, he was at the side of a pond eating cheese and crackers. Like, no, he was in his cabin eating cheese and crackers. No, these are very widely different stories. 
if like he was just sitting there minding his own business, then they killed him. Or he was in a huge shootout doing a western draw and they killed him. Or did he just walk into a trap and they ambushed him and killed him? Pretty different stories. Yes. So so think of this think of this as if you were a hunter. If you spent a whole year hunting down a I don't know, a, a bear, like a rare albino bear or something, and you finally got him, what are you going to do with the body? Uh, display it? That's what they did with Railroad Bill. Damn. Railroad Bill's body was placed on public view in Bruton, and crowds of curious spectators gathered to get a glimpse at the, at the corpse. Many Bruton residents recommend them, recognize the male as Bill McCoy, who was the local troublemaker and threatened a local sawmill owner, T.R. Miller, with a knife. At the same time, Morris Slater was working in the turpentine camp in Florida. So this could this probably wasn't even railroad bill. This was Bill McCoy. Souvenir hunters paid 50 cents for a picture of Constable J.L. McGowan, who was believed to fire the final shot. Sanding, rifle in hand, over the corpse, a railroad bill strapped to a wooden plank. After a few days in Bruton, the body was taken by train to Montgomery and later to Pensacola, Florida, for a public display. And they charged 25 cents for admission here to have the body viewed. His final resting place is unknown. Now that's weird. It is weird. But you know what? They had him strapped to a wooden table, strapped down... His found rest place is unknown. He's probably still alive. He probably shapeshifted out of that, out of those ties, and went off. Mm, I hope that's what happened. I mean, Constable McGowan obviously didn't use silver bullets. You think he can afford that? No. Neither do I. So, all in all... <laughs> Railroad Bill was a symbol of the racial and economic divide in the post-Reconstruction Deep South. During this period of increasing legal segregation in Alabama and the rest of the South, the hunt for Railroad Bill became a theatrical white supremacist saga in the local newspapers. I assume that's because of all like the mis, um, the mis-killings and everything. And just blaming it on, on oh, we're trying to find a railroad bill. Now, that was a wild story. Yes, it was. So, he may or may not have been caught. Mm-hmm. He may or may not have been a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. He may or may not still be out here. That's right. So well, imagine Bill, the I kind of... Riding free and wild on those tracks still. Hope he's still going up and down the tracks. And just imagine, like, this guy would make a mean assassin in his current day and age or in the future. Like a cyberpunk future. Yeah, future cowboy. I, I could see that. Like, especially, ooh, that, now that would be a good movie. A shapeshifter from the 1800s gets transported into the future. And uses his shape-shifting abilities to be like a high-paid assassin. Get to Ooh. writing. Get no, to writing. Seriously. 
We need we need to put a title for that. Yeah, we need to get on that. Thanks, Railroad Bill. Look at you, still out here helping people. Still all these have years later. To this day. Now that was a good story. That was it was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. Thank now, you. I always try interesting ones. Did you know that Alabama is in the central time zone, but four cities unofficially agreed to keep using the eastern time zone? I did not know that. I feel like how do how do just four cities just unofficially agree? Like, isn't that a state thing? Like, how how do they even get away with that? I don't know. <laughs> like, and are these four cities like touching each other, or are these like four sporadic cities around the state? <laughs> anyway, so it is. It really is. Like, I I just think that's hilarious that they are unofficially using Eastern Time, but actually officially because when you drive through, it does change. So it's unofficial but official. Time zone differences aside, I do have a nice, short, crazy case from the Unsolved Mysteries fandom that was actually a episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Do you remember that show? I don't think so. I'm trying to think, but I don't think Oh, the guy had like the creepiest voice. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So... My case is John Christian and Molly Perez Maggio. And not quite as shapeshifty as yours, but not bad either. He was, you know, on the run for a while, like yours. So look at that. Similarities anyway. Anyway, yeah. Now, in May of 1992, a man named Brent Troth of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, decided to sell his Nissan sports car, and a man named John Maggio became a potential buyer. All Maggio needed to finish the deal was a cashier's check, and Brent agreed to take him to the bank. First mistake. I know this was 1992. Maybe people were a little more trusting back then, but no, you bring the money with you. Exactly. And this car must have been a 300ZX. It's possible. However, along the way and without warning, Maggio pulled out a gun planning to steal Brent's car. The two struggled until Brent was shot in the leg. Maggio then jumped out of the car, leaving Brent to drive himself to the hospital. Maggio was arrested the next day and charged with attempted murder. He pled guilty and was sentenced to five years in prison. Now, that wasn't the, the case because obviously it took place in Louisiana. I was, just, I was just about to say, well, there's that. There you go, people. <laughs> After he was paroled, Maggio went to Mobile, Alabama, which I know I said his name was John Christian, but Maggio is the name he went by, and we'll get kind of into that. He went to Mobile, Alabama and got a job as a boarding agent for Follette Green Shipping Services. This job involved processing payroll accounts for ships and dock, and this service involved sizable amounts of cash. 
while in Mobile, Maggio fell for single mother Molly Perez. And after a whirlwind romance, the two married in April of 1999. And although the marriage appeared to be perfect, her mother claims that Maggio was sometimes abusive and violent towards her. Molly's daughter told her grandmother that she was terrified of him and did not want to be around him. In August of 1999, Maggio called a local bank in his capacity as a Follett Green agent and arranged to process a cash or arranged to process to cash a check for $197,000. Hot dog. Now, sometime over the next few days, authorities believed that Maggio went into his office after hours and took a blank check. He later brought the check to the bank with the forged signature of his office manager on it. When the bank employee noticed that Maggio was nervous, he claimed that he was worried about carrying such a large amount of cash. She asked if he wanted an escort, but he said that he would be fine. After that, he walked out of the bank with $197,000 in cash and disappeared. Just like that. Just like that. Now, the next day, one of his coworkers received a call from their accountant asking if they had written out any big checks. She said they did not, so the accountant asked her to look for a check with a specific number. She looked, and lo and behold, it was not there. I was not expecting this at all. Right. I just knew that check was going to be there. No. Realizing that someone had most likely stolen the check and the money, they contacted the police. Investigators confirmed that the signature used on the check was a forgery. At around the time, Molly dropped off her daughter with her mother. She and Maggio left Mobile in a new $35,000 SUV, which he had purchased with that stolen money. Four months later, the Maggios reportedly turned up in Staten Island, New York, using aliases Rick and Sarah Parker. Over the next year, Maggio bounced back and forth from one job to another until he was able to get a position with an autograph dealer in Manhattan. Now, back to his old tricks again. He attempted to cash a $1,500 check on his employer's account in 2001, and a teller's routine authorization query led to the accusation that Maggio had actually embezzled $14,000 from the company using forged authorization signatures. Wow. Jeez, man. Now, were you that thorough when you were a bank teller? Yes. Any Anything that was like... Well, anything else over a couple grand, look deep, deep, deep into it. And there's systems on systems that will like, well, and nowadays in 20, 2018, systems on top of systems that will like help you track down the origin of checks from any bank pretty much. Wow. I did not know that. I'm glad I'm not a check writer or a check forger. Yes. Yes. Good. Now, by the time the police were notified, the Maggios were on the run again. While leaving, Maggio contacted his landlord, saying that he had to take Sarah 
to the hospital. He asked the landlord to take care of their dog until they returned. Oh, what a dick move. They've y'all are gonna the go on the dog. Yes, y'all are oh gonna go God. on the run without your dog. Oh, that's oh that sucks. They suck. When when the landlord entered their apartment, she discovered the place had been trash. Detectives later discovered that Molly, aka Sarah, had purchased two airline tickets for a flight from New York to Los Angeles, but there have been no sightings of them on the West Coast. Molly has not contacted her daughter since 1999. Wow, jeez. John Maggio is wanted for one count of bank fraud, but his wife hasn't been charged with any crimes, which is plausible because he was the one stealing the checks from his jobs. Yeah, but like, yeah, but like she's an accomplice, though. Well, it doesn't say she ever went into any banks. It doesn't say that she was anywhere with him when he purchased well I mean I guess they could but you know she really kind of can get off scot-free like oh I thought he was just making overtime or something yeah yeah Now, police believe that she is with John and they want to question her. However, in a twist, a co-worker of John Maggio recognized him on a poster at the local post office and called the authorities. On July 24, 2003, he was arrested at the Chicago restaurant where he was working. He was returned to Alabama and charged with bank fraud and parole violation. He served two years before being released, and Molly was also located, but again, she was never charged with anything. And that case first aired on Unsolved Mysteries May 8, 2002. So he was on the run for a little while, but dang, you yeah. did they ditched their her daughter, they ditched their dog. They were some real They're awful sphincters, like the dirty kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just got what that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sphincters. Yeah, that's so not right. That's crazy. That was that was a pretty good short case though. Yeah, it's like, okay, you you get less than two hundred thousand dollars even in 1992 or not 1992 1998 like 99 that's not a lot of money no uh-uh. like not enough to to think you're just gonna like run away and never be seen again yeah you know it was almost the year 2000 you no know, inflation was happening right Hundred grand, but, still bleh. Right, but I I thought it was pretty interesting. Like especially if they left the dog, they left the kid. They just didn't care. Just they didn't just care. did not care. Yeah, I I agree. It was a nice story. Um, not enough uh killing, um lawmen and not enough shapeshifting, but still good. 
Right, right, right. You know, it was it was subpar on the shape shifting. But they were sphincters nonetheless. And I'm glad that his coworkers saw him on that poster and was like, hey, that looks like Yeah. Yeah, he did whatever right his there. current name was at that point. Like, hmm. Yeah. Alias number seven. <laughs> that would wouldn't that be crazy though? Like if you went to the post office for whatever reason, let's say you had a big package to ship and you saw one of your coworkers on a wanted poster. Yeah, I'd be like, huh. So that's what he's really up to, huh? The guy was guy's boring when I met him. But would you turn them in or would it have to depend on the reward? No, I would turn them in because, like, now that I've seen it, like, my conscience is going to be, like, just eating at me. And and why, and why would I live with that? Why would I live with my conscience tearing my soul apart if this guy's a thief? What, what if he steals from me next? What if he gets my forged my signature next, you know? Even though I don't know the crimes, but still, he could steal. Right, like, once a thief, always a thief. You no honor be the among next them. 100% true. And what if maybe they, they're not even a thief? What if they're some kind of crazed murderer and he's just posing as, you know, Joe next door or working you know at a I'll, normal job? You know, I'll see, I'll see at the post office, I'll see the one that posted and I'll be like, I wonder if he wronged his dog at all. And then that would just be the kicker right there. Like, so, how many dogs have you had in your life? Where are they now? Have you ever abandoned any? For hmm. real. You get, like, put put the lamp on his face and everything. Interrogate him real hard. Like, have you ever left any children and not spoken to them for years? Like, what kind of people are these? Seriously. Definitely, definitely deserved his little sentence. Yeah. I mean, dude... Does two years really teach you anything, though? In... Did, he, did he have to pay the money back that he stole the first time? It didn't say anything about restitution, but I would imagine. I mean, he stole from a company. If I was in charge of that company, I'd sue. Like, so I want your charges. wages garnished. Yeah, yeah. I want my $197,000 back and then $14,000 from the other company. Right, right, right. Like, he, he sounded like he just wanted quick money. Like, he was working. He just wasn't making money as fast as he wanted. Which is weird. You know, usually, like, thieves of this nature, well, you know what? No, because Ponzi scheme people, they work, but they just steal hundreds of thousands, millions to support a lifestyle that they can't really support. So, all right. Well, I guess he had a reason. He had a reason. Okay. How are you going to bring this back up this week? Well, like I said, I wanted to talk about my birthday trip that I talked about two episodes ago. And I actually drove up to Niagara Falls. And it was so spectacularly beautiful. And even though you could not cross into uh, Canada, like over the bridge, like you can see Canada across the water, 
but the bridge was closed down unless you were an essential worker and had to cross over for essential worker like work so we couldn't go over to like view the falls from the Canadian side which is the side they always show in movies because like the American side side? well it's just about how you're like what point of view you're at because like the American side you're kind of like on the top of the falls mostly looking like down and from the side the Canadian side you're like looking directly across at it so you see like the water fall in and like all of that like the American side is more top of it oh I see I see yeah so it's not necessarily like any more or less pretty it's just like the viewpoint you it's just more of a direct view from the Canadian side but even in June mid-June it was still cold up there oh my gosh I don't see how you New Yorkers do it I would enjoy I would enjoy some coolness right about now no 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 it was too too cold I I had to wear a blanket I had like a blanket wrapped around me while I was walking out there and it was chilly like I was dressed for summer because we were coming from the south so I had on like shorts and a t-shirt and it was probably in the mid 50s oh yeah yeah that must have been unpleasant in the middle of June that's crazy talk that is crazy that's some tomfoolery. It really is. Pure shenanigans. Well, that sounds pretty awesome, though. Sounds pretty dope. I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad your birthday was great. Had a nice little road trip for my birthday, and Graham made me her awesome, famous lemon pound cake, which is ridiculously good. And which you also did not share. Oh, absolutely not. I stole that quietly from her house like Joe Maggio stole this money. You fortune tainted her and everything? I didn't have to go that far, but I made sure none of the family saw the cake. No one even knew of the cake until it was too late. Until it was too late. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, 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 I don't have anything except for um, thank you for listening. This is episode 24. We are 24 weeks into our podcast. So, you know, we only have like 32 more before it's a whole year. Wait, is it 52? There's only 52. <laughs> okay, so, so 28. So 28 more than... Wow, so we're almost halfway there. Almost, yes. And it doesn't seem like we haven't taken a break, we haven't taken a hiatus, nothing. We have been putting out quality content for 24 straight weeks. Yeah, and COVID, what COVID? Business as usual over here. True crime doesn't stop. It doesn't. It keeps going and going and going. And... You need to at least listen to one episode of Unsolved Mysteries because that guy's voice is so freaky and wide. They were like playing this show at night, like back in the early 90s. 
it I don't know it was like the creepiest his voice was so creepy and the theme music was quite creepy too so it's just nothing but heebie-jeebies nonstop. yes and then all these like true unsolved mysteries so you know of course you're gonna be like frightened and hyper aware of everything like you know make you paranoid but all in all a good show I still watched it <laughs> Um, um, I looked it up. The um, it it looks very, it looks very late eighties. Yeah, yeah. Just listen mm-hmm. to one episode. Just you don't even have to listen to the whole episode. Just enough for you to to hear the theme music and then the the narrator talk, and you'd be like, oh, okay. Okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. Well. I guess that's it for this episode. This one was short, sweet, and to the point. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Well, I'm sure our editor isn't going to be too upset about that. No, I wouldn't think so. He's probably actually pretty okay with short episodes. Yeah, probably. (laughs) His work schedule and everything. And also... Before we go, I want to again mention our YouTube channel where we have the audio versions of every episode available to play through YouTube if you cannot access a podcast host or a podcast player. Or if you're watching uh, YouTube on your TV or if you have a Windows computer. Yeah, if you just want to play play it YouTube. while you clean up and, you know, play it through your TV speakers so that you don't, you know, have to drain your phone battery. Yeah, exactly. Just don't, just don't, um, you know, procrastinate and blame it on us because we want to help you be productive but also tell you these crazy cases that you will not believe. Right, or maybe you will believe. Like, I, I believe Railroad Bill is still out there. I believe Railroad Bill's out there, too. I definitely think that needs to be a um, shirt design or mug or something. I, I think you should quit your new job and focus on writing this screenplay. The screenplay? Okay, for the time-traveling shapeshifter from the 19th mm-hmm. century? Mm-hmm. Get on that. You know, I, I'm going to start typing it up, and it's going to be like a B-movie out there somewhere that has the same exact plot. Cool, cool. I will be the first in line to buy a ticket. I appreciate your support. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There was a hesitance in that appreciation. So we'll see if I buy that first ticket. Maybe I'll buy the second one. Yeah. Well, with that, check us out on Instagram, WStatPod or WStat underscore pod. That's also our Twitter. And also, we shouldn't talk about this group on Facebook, and we shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email about a specific topic, maybe send us a, a crime that you're interested in that you want us to talk about, and we can use that for one of our stories. And this concludes the first episode in the United States of Crime series. United States of Crime. 
brought to you by We Shouldn't Talk About This. Dun dun! Well, with that being said, I'm Key. And I'm V. And we shouldn't talk about this. Thanks for listening. Bye.